Well, hi everyone. Welcome along to the final high performance podcast of series four. I can't believe we've made it all the way to the final episode of this series, but we do so with smiles on our faces, happiness in our hearts, because not only has the feedback been amazing from you, not only have the numbers been wonderful, but Damon and I are really proud to say that we've just been nominated for a prestigious Radio Academy Award as Best Sports Podcast. It's funny, isn't it, Damon? Because we often say this isn't really a sports podcast. But listen, we take what we can get, right? <laughs> it's an honour just to be just to be mentioned alongside some of those other brilliant podcasts as well. Indeed it is. And honestly, can I just say one final time that what really fills us with joy is seeing the feedback, seeing you sharing on your social media accounts, talking to your friends, having team meetings, the number of people that have got in touch to say, They've implemented things they've learned on the High Performance Podcast in their workplace. Like, you know, big sort of, like the way they train a whole team of people has changed because of this podcast. Stuff like that has been um, has been really quite something. So we thank you so much for that. Just a quick reminder that while we're gone, there's still loads more coming your way from the High Performance Podcast. You can be in the club. We've got something called the High Performance Circle. It's free. And it's available to you now. All you need to do is go to thehighperformancepodcast.com, enter your email address, and while this podcast isn't on air, you'll be getting loads of brand new content. Uh, keynote speeches, little short boosts of inspiration, exclusive podcast episodes you can't see or hear anywhere else, um, newsletters as well. We actually recorded the content a few days ago, Damien, and we got some amazing stuff from people, didn't we? Yeah, some really incredible insights that we got. So people that were coming along and sharing insights into their world so from the world of chemical warfare for example and the forensic detail required of that to people that have sort of reached the top of their league in terms of adventures across the antarctic and building businesses it was just so rich that i think that you uh, if you come with an open mindset there's so many valuable lessons that the circle uh, is offering yeah, just to sort of really explain what it is, it's a learning hub and it's a chance for us to give you even more than we can just give you as a podcast. So it's going to grow. There's going to be more stuff on there all the time, some wonderful exclusives, and it is free to be a member. So once more, just go to thehighperformancepodcast.com, enter your email address, sign up for the High Performance Circle, and you're in the club. Don't forget, you can also check out the description for this podcast to pre-order the High Performance book, which is out December 2021. It's basically equipping you for living a high-performance life, not just with lessons from the podcast, but so much more as well. So we've got a book. We've got the High Performance Circle coming up today, our review of Series 4 of the High Performance Podcast. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Right, Damien, let's do exactly what we did, you know, at the end of series three, which was speaking about the five stages of change and seeing all of the ways in which the guests that we had on this series fit into those five stages. Maybe you could just sort of explain them to start with. Yeah, of course. So when people often talk about how do you go on a journey of high performance, I think that phrase of a journey is really apposite and appropriate here. So the five stages come from the work of a guy called Dr. Joseph Campbell. Now, Joseph Campbell was a famous sociologist and he spent a large part of the early years of the 20th century going around the most diverse cultures in the world asking the question, what unites us? What do we have in common? And the journey that we all go on when we want to make change happen in our lives is common to all of us, regardless of where we're from. And he identifies it in five key stages. He talks about the dream stages where you have a dream of things could be better. What do I want to achieve? What experiences do I want in my life? Then you have to take a leap. You have to do something different tomorrow than what you were doing today. The fight stages are sometimes referred to as the messy middle, but this is the bit where things start to go wrong. You have setbacks, you have failures, and this is where the great learning happens. Now, most people give up at this stage, but high performance requires you to persevere and get through the messy middle before you start to see the climb stage. And this is where you see seeds of progress. It's not all encompassing, but you do see little moments where you think change could be possible. And then finally, you persevere, you gain momentum, and you get to the arrive stage where you suddenly start to see that what you dreamt of is now a reality. Now, all our high performers have described, that's where they pause, take a moment to reflect, and then they plan again and dream again to go on the journey. So it's a relentless process. But I think it's a really handy way of explaining it to people that there's no time period for becoming a high performer, but you can always navigate where you are. It's like having a sat-nav that tells you, on your journey at the moment, Where are you when it comes to becoming a high performer? Where do you reckon we are with the High Performance Podcast? I still think we're in the leap stage. I think we're doing something different for it, yeah. I think we're on a journey of creating a community. You know, I think we occasionally see seeds of fights of some people that think it's a sports podcast, it's not for them. Some people that criticise it. But I still think we're in the leap stage. We're just about to go into the fight stage over the next few series, I think. All right, I look forward to fighting you. Let's see, who, let's see who comes out on top. I have a sneaky suspicion that you growing up around boxing gyms of Manchester. I'm a coward by nature, Jake. So. Ah, never, never. Right, let's do it then. Let's start where you should with the dream. Something that we all need, something that we all have. And I think sometimes people look at high performers and they don't see the dream because they just see the moment these people arrive. And it's so important on this podcast to explain to you that every single high performer was once not a high performer, just someone with a dream. We're going to start by hearing from Kasper Schmeichel, who won the Premier League with Leicester in 2016, and Stuart Webber, who's just taken Norwich to their second promotion back to the Premier League. Both of them talking about their dreams. For some reason, and and I can't tell you why, and when you delve into it, maybe maybe it's got something to do with winning was was very normal in my family. Um... So the standard was kind of set. And uh, for some reason, I always had this inner belief that, that one day I would win the Premier League. And um, I always had it in my head. Uh, didn't really speak it. 
I always had a dream as a kid of winning the Premier League. But not as a player. Because I worked out early that I weren't good enough as a player. But I always had a dream of winning the Premier League. And, you know, I always used to go, you know, I used to go and watch um, football or whatever. And I used to think, imagine how much that special that feeling must be at the end of a game. And I always visioned it away from home where there's only three or 4,000 of your fans there. And I thought, how special must that moment be where the rest of the ground's getting empty and, and you're just over with your fans and that, that sort of moment. And, um, and I was always like, I've got to try and make that happen somehow. Mm. I really enjoyed both of those stories, actually, um, because they were so explicit, weren't they, in, in what they wanted. They didn't just say, I just want to be successful. You know, they, they made a specific plan for what they wanted. One of them's managed it already, and you kind of get the sense that Stuart Webber is not going to rest until he's done the same. Yeah, and what I love about that is that they both came from sort of like different ends of a spectrum. So Casper was already um, being a professional footballer and he'd been around a Premier League winner and his own father. Whereas Stuart's example came from almost like the most inauspicious of circumstances. You know, this was a kid that struggled at school. He was living in a small town in mid Wales and yet he had this dream of winning the Premier League from circumstances that that would appear a million miles away from it. But both of them had that dream that then prompted them to do something different, whether it was Casper in terms of setting standards in training and driving himself relentlessly, or Stuart being prepared to get that bus to go and take up her career as a groundsman and volunteer to be a coach in his own time for no money. Both of them were, were fueled by that dream. And it's such a pleasure that Casper came on the podcast. You know, it's it's very easy to talk about what you really want from your career when your career's over. But for someone to come on as a current high-performance professional athlete and do that was a real treat for us. And um, I still get messages every day, Damien, about the, the episode we did with Casper, despite the fact that it's two or three months ago. And in terms of the Stuart Webber conversation, you know what stood out for me most of all was when he had that dream about and this is what I think is interesting. He had the dream about winning the Premier League, which he still has. Realised he wasn't going to get there as a footballer. So he goes and does a groundsman's course to kind of like, in his head, he was going, right, groundsman, get into football, cut the grass, move up the ladder, end up as director of football, win the Premier League. And I think that's a really important lesson for people is that it's what can seem like a very small, very insignificant decision that isn't taking you in the right direction, like learning to be a groundsman because you want to win the Premier League. It can be the catalyst. It can be the start, you know, High achievers, high performers, they do these things in roundabout ways sometimes. Yep. So law of physics, the energy creates energy. So just taking a step in whatever direction it is creates energy and opens doors that leads to a new possibility. So like Stuart being a groundsman on a golf course and then going into Wrexham and helping out there and then having the opportunity to go and be a coach, you're meeting people that see he's open-minded, he's willing, he's hardworking, that then led to him getting a foot in the door in a competitive industry like football. That's so interesting, Damien. Um, right, who should we hear from next? I think we should listen to James Timson. This has had a big impact on a lot of listeners, but James talking about building a business on trust, not just on the bottom line. It amazes me how many organisations try and control everybody and have loads of rules in place. Mm. And I can see how it starts off, but it's all for, for, for a good reason, because something goes wrong. So when something goes wrong, you've got to have a a guideline to stop it going wrong again. But then a guideline becomes a rule, and then, then there's rules and rules and rules and rules. Mm. And then you have an organisation where people just turn up, and just as long as you follow the rules, you get paid and you can go home. 
But those rules stop you being innovative. They stop people being themselves. And that ends up costing you way more money. So I'm really commercial. And I know in our business, the best way to make as much profit as we can is to trust people. It's a good one, that, Damien, because that that dream we've just heard from James Timpson is not a dream about him. And it doesn't always have to be about us, does it? No, I think like James's message was very much about the collective. How do you bring people along with you, in this case, in his organisation, that understand it's a business fueled by kindness and decency and trust, rather than just focusing on making profits for a small few. It's about how everyone can, can be part of a dream. I enjoyed that episode so much. If you haven't heard James Timpson's conversation yet, please do go back and listen to it. And while you're there, listen to Susie Marr as well if you haven't heard from her because she spoke about infinite purpose being her dream. Uh, this is what she said. We have something that I call an infinite purpose. And this is actually inspired by Simon Sinek. I had the pleasure of going on a, a challenge with him about four years back. And he spoke about having a purpose in life. And a purpose is very different to a passion because you can be passionate about so many things but a purpose is what guides your passions and is what guides all the decisions that you make and he spoke about an infinite one which is something that isn't achievable because it carries on and on the back of that conversation with Simon I came back and I decided to create an infinite purpose for everything that I do in life and that is to help create a healthier greener and more empowered world. I love that episode. I mean, I say I say that every time, David. I love that episode. Oh, I love that yeah. one as well. In fact, before we carry on, me and you would just sort of exchange messages sometimes about all the things that we love and that we can't believe we've had so many sort of conversations. We, in fact, we were saying, which is your favourite episode the other day? I think we both reeled off every episode in, this, <laughs> in the series, didn't we? Yeah, I feel just so privileged and fortunate that we're, that we're in the position of getting to meet these people and that they're so generous in sharing these insights that they're giving, we keep using that phrase, thousands of years worth of knowledge and experience and hard-won lessons for free to us and that by definition to people listening. You know what I love about the clip there from Susie as well is that there were people listening to this who basically are not going to win the Premier League as a director of football or as a goalkeeper. There will be people listening to this that will never run a business the size of Timpsons. Every single person listening to this episode now whether they're in the car, on the train, with the kids, whatever, when they get five minutes, they can sit down and think about their infinite purpose. In fact, this doesn't work particularly well for a podcast, Damien, but <laughs> I have a post-it note here. You can hear this. <laughs> what does it say on it? Infinite purpose. I have a pink, I'm holding a pink post-it note with the words infinite purpose written on it. Um, and it sits on the front of my computer in my office. And it guides me that, Damien. Every time I make a decision, make a phone call, try and work out the way forwards, What's the infinite purpose? Yeah, what you're describing there, Jake, is the power of a dream, how it can fuel you and sustain you, even when it might be a difficult phone call you've got to make or, you know, a tough decision that relates to your business. When that infinite purpose gives your dream power and therefore wings to put it into practice. Love it. So we've had the dream. Now we make a leap. Who should we hear from first, Damien, when it comes to leaping? You know, one of my favourite examples of this was Charlie Pierce when we spoke to her about she'd worked in finance for many years and then left the job to go and pursue a career in the music industry. I thought she was really powerful. I mean, I guess in some ways, and some of your previous guests have, have spoken about this, you kind of, you have to hit 
the bottom before you can bounce back up. And in a way, I personally felt like I didn't really have a lot to lose. Like I, I felt a bit of a failure that I hadn't been able to make that environment sustainable or work for me. And so going out and doing something on my own, I was like, well, it can't feel like this does. So, you know, why not? Why not just jump in? Charlie was brilliant, actually. And part of the reason why I liked hearing that back and being reminded of that, Damien, is that, you know, I'm aware that we have a lot of really well-known people on this podcast. And sometimes someone like Charlie Pierce, who you wouldn't know, you wouldn't walk past her in the street and recognise her, but she has loads of things to tell us. She has lots that we can learn from. And she genuinely is someone whose entire career now as a manager for a number of musicians is totally built on taking the leap. Yeah, very much. And I think the reason I like her example was that I think there'll be an awful lot of us that can really empathise with her that maybe have found ourselves sometimes in a job that doesn't light us up, you know, something where it's taken its toll and we want something better. And I think she described really powerfully the courage it takes to sometimes do something different today than what you were doing yesterday. And that it isn't always easy, but Charlie was able to articulate the courage it takes to do that. And sometimes people will uh, will message Damien and myself and they'll say, yeah, yeah, your podcast is great, but I don't just want to hear from successful people. The key with this podcast is we hear from people who have had the struggle and then they've had to leap to get to the success. And this is Zach George. He was crowned recently the fittest man in the country. He's a CrossFit competitor. And this is what he told us about losing weight. I'm really self-conscious. I used to skip swimming lessons at school and pretend I was ill because I didn't want to take my top off because I was too embarrassed. Um, I remember multiple times my parents would have people around and I'd be sitting in the living room with my top off and I'd go run upstairs and, and start crying because people were going to see me with the top off. So I was really self-conscious. Um, but anyway, my dad said, yeah, I'll buy a PlayStation 2 for lose some weight. So instead of having five McDonald's a week, I'd probably have three. And instead of having... Uh, Harry but every day after school I'd have fruit instead so it's just little diet changes I was starting to make that would make a difference and after I think it was about a month um, we did some measurements I lost some weight and dad was ecstatic mum was happy I was really happy because I felt great about myself it was the first time I'd really goal set it in my life without really knowing it my dad helped me put a goal in place I worked towards it for a month I achieved that goal and then I got a reward for it and I think that kind of that really played a big part in my life for where I am today. That's powerful stuff again, Damien, isn't it? Loved it. Because again, you know, I think there'll be a number of us on this podcast as parents and maybe thinking about how can we get our kids more active? How can we get them out doing stuff? And I think Zach described really powerfully the the move from extrinsic motivation of having the PlayStation as his incentive to intrinsic motivation where you're doing it just because you love getting fit you love the uh, you love the process of getting better right who should we hear from now i'd like to throw in evelyn glennie dame evelyn glennie that we spoke to she spoke really powerfully about that process of losing a hearing at the age of eight and becoming irrevocably deaf at the age of 12 and how her teacher had said to her you don't need to be able to hear but you do need to be able to listen to be a musician and that led her to moving away from her family farm in the north of scotland to go down to London to pursue a career as what became the world's greatest percussionist. 
basically, I just kept the aim really simple. I knew that I needed to be a student for the minimum of three years, and then I'd graduate. And but that aim of solo percussionist, solo percussionist, solo percussionist was absolutely the driving force. And I knew I was very lucky to get in, and I wasn't going to waste my time. It was this three-year period, absolutely clear-cut. This is what I needed to achieve. I needed to gain a degree, and then I could then open myself up truly to the journey of being a solo percussion player. So it was a very, very steely, you know, one-road yeah, yeah. kind of situation. So there's always an aim as regards to every block of time as always the first in at the academy as the last out. I mean, sometimes they had to just literally pluck me out from the depths <laughs> of the academy because they needed to shut up, you know, shut the place up. And that's how it was. I just felt really privileged to be there and I definitely didn't want to waste my time. There you go, Evelyn Glennie talking about going to London, making the leap, making that big decision and... It's amazing, actually, when we look back on the, the guests that we've had on the podcast. I would actually say, we're going to hear from someone else in a moment, Damien, but I don't think there's a single guest on the pod that didn't have to leap at some point. Absolutely. It's, it's part of the journey for all of us that if you keep doing... It's that old saying that if you do the same thing you've always done, you get the same results you've always got. And I think for any of us that believe we have the capability of making things better than they are today requires us to do something different. And here's Toto Wolff on the day that he decided to leap into the hot seat at the Mercedes Formula One team. And this is what he found when he first arrived. When I walked in the first time into Mercedes, it wasn't what I wanted it to be. And what did you want it to be? I mean, the first day I walked in, I, I, I went, I arrived in reception and, and I sat down in reception and it didn't look like a Formula One team. Uh, there was an old Daily Mail on the table from the previous week and coffee cups that had the dry coffee. And I, I, I couldn't believe that this was the Mercedes Formula One team. And now you may say, how do dry coffee cups uh, or an old Daily Mail impact on the performance of a Formula One team? But it's all, it shows an attitude. It shows attention to detail. And I think this is most important for a high-tech team. And all these soft factors that many will ignore because it's not data, it's not aerodynamics, it's not vehicle dynamics um, that, that make a car faster, but all that is part of the values of a team. And if everybody runs in the same direction, everybody acknowledges that attention to detail is important, then eventually the wheel is going to gain some momentum. And um, so that was my first experience with Mercedes F1. What I love about that, Damien, is that it seems like such a simple thing, an old newspaper and a coffee cup, yet... To Toto Wolf, it represented so much. Yeah, it was sloppiness. It was a lack of attention to detail. It was just people not caring. And he understood that if Mercedes was going to be successful, it were those human emotions of, of being proud of where you work and taking responsibility that we're going to be at the heart of it and that's a brilliant example of it and i really hope that you're listening to this and you're thinking yeah i you know i've been scared to take the leap i'm not sure whether it's the right thing i think the other key thing to explain is that taking a leap is never a bad thing because you can always go back the worst thing is not making any decision at all and you can bet your bottom dollar that before charlie left her job or before zach lost weight or before evelyn went to london or before toto wolf went to mercedes all of them have leapt previously 
And on numerous occasions, they would have had to realize that the direction they'd leapt in was not the right one to go. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So we've had the dream like Casper and Stuart and Susie and James, and then we've finally leapt to try and make those dreams a reality. One of the issues that Damien and I often talk about on the podcast then is the fight. And there's this feeling at the moment that as soon as you have to fight, you must be on the wrong path. It must be time to give up. And we say quite often that failure is not a full stop. It's just a comma. Every single person on the pod has had to fight. So let's hear from some of the people that have done just that, including the England rugby manager, Eddie Jones, who fights every single day. They have to love the grind, mate. Because, yeah, all the good things in sport are hard work. Yeah, there's nothing in sport comes easily. So you, the ability of the best players, and I think it goes to coaches too, the ability of the best players and the best coaches is to keep doing it and don't get bored by it. Don't take any shortcuts, be insistent on standards, keep those standards high, never drop off. And that's what, that separates the really great players from the good players and the good players from the average players. Their ability to absorb that grind. Cause everyone thinks sports fun and fantastic. And it is when you, when you watch it, but the actual process of putting that into place is, is, is hard work. Damien, we recorded that in a um, in a meeting room in central London. And when Eddie was talking about, we were sort of saying, you know, what are you like now? And he said, oh, mate, I'm so mellow now. And he kind of <laughs> described this mellow, relaxed, calm guy compared to the sort of 25-year-old Eddie Jones. And then he goes, yeah, I get up at 5 a.m., I'm in the gym, I eat my breakfast, I do all my planning, my day's work's done by 7, I work till 9.30 in the evening. You know, he is still embracing the grind. But I think we have to be really careful about promoting too much the grind and the struggle on this podcast you know Johnny Wilkinson famously said that struggle leads to struggle yeah I think that's a really key point that you're making there Jake I think that we're not advocating that this is all about sacrifice and it's about um, sort of trading time with your family or downtime it's not about that it's about having that balance of being able to recognize that sometimes rest is taking you as far forward as just constantly keeping your nose to the grindstone. I think Eddie's point about loving the grind was you've got to enjoy the hard work, but it can't be at the expense of um, of other aspects of your life, including just taking care of yourself. And what is it we say? A lot of Formula One races are won in the pit stop when the car is stationary. Absolutely. It's about rest and reframing it and seeing rest as part of your process of high performance. 
Right, let's hear from somebody else, OJ. Why don't we have a listen to Stephen Hendry, who spoke very much around sacrifice and the demands that being the best took on him and his family. The reason why there's so few people can win relentlessly is is they sacrifice even family to get to, you know, snooker's my life is number one. That, that came first, even before my wife, my kids, everything. Obviously, they ended to the detriment of my marriage and everything. You know, it was all about me. It's very cold, but it has to be that. If I look at all the top sportsmen, individual sportsmen, many of them are still married to the same women, very, very few. Listen, I think it's really important at this point we point out that um, it takes a lot of bravery, I think, in 2021 especially, to come on and be as honest as Stephen Hendry was. And this podcast is a non-judgmental place. You know, you and I are not deciding whether we agree with that individual or not. And I think that we have to be so careful these days that we all exist in in this world where we choose who we follow on social media, we choose who our friends are, we choose where we spend our time. And sometimes a difference of opinion is an okay thing to hear. And you don't have to agree with Stephen's sacrifice to understand it or to realise how important it was for him. I think that's absolutely correct. I think that... We can often find ourselves in echo chambers of people that share the same views, the same politics, the same outlook on life. And I think it's important that we hear people that have a differing point of view. And only when somebody really makes us think, it forces us to understand our own position. So, yeah, you're right. We don't have to agree with them to to at least hear them out. And being forced to think was certainly something that... General Lord Richard Dannett had to do. Um, he's the former head of the British Army. He joined us on our final full episode of the podcast in this series and he certainly had to fight when it came to his faith after the things that he was seeing and experiencing on active duty as a young soldier. My faith was challenged as a young man. I mean I've told you about the moment when the soldiers either side of me were shot. That evening back in barracks I thought to myself gosh was I just lucky or or was someone trying to say something to me? It's often said that there are no atheists in a foxhole. You know, when the issues of life and death confront, you then think quite deep things. Well, you know, as a young man, I shrugged it off. A couple of years later, operating in the border area near Crossman Glen, uh, we were conducting an operation to defuse an improvised explosive device. And I was with my company commander in it and a f- four-man team to deal with a large milk churn, which we thought was an explosive device. We moved forward, Peter Willis, myself, and the team of, of four, uh, to show them where we thought was a safe vantage point for them to start their clearance work. As we started to go forward, Peter Willis stopped me and gave me an air photograph and said, um, don't bother to come any further forward. I want you to lead another operation here this weekend. Just familiarise yourself with the ground from this photograph. Well, he and the others went forward. About 30 yards forward, 30 seconds later, there was a tremendous explosion and all four of them were killed. Now, I realised if he hadn't stopped me, it would have been five killed because I'd have been three paces behind him. You know, again, that evening back in Crossman Police Station, you know, I thought, oh, gosh, was, that, was I just lucky or, or what? So there were several times when I realised that my life on a balance of probabilities would probably have been lost, but actually it hadn't been. So what I decided for myself was that this isn't the dress rehearsal, this is the full act. Let's live the best way you possibly can, do your duty in the best possible way, aim high, be the best, remember that courage is key, and be the best person that you can be. So it was a kind of religious deduction, if you like, but um, it came out of 
the realization that um, on the balance of probabilities, I wouldn't still be here. I mean, that was incredibly powerful. I mean, a lot of our guests won't be talking about life and death as Richard did there. That that was quite humbling to listen to. And it's worth listening to the Lord Dannett episode because I think these days nuance has been lost. And he is someone who, at his age, with his experience, is able to see the argument and the counter-argument. He's considered, he's thoughtful. And listen again to when he talks about his three non-negotiables at the end and, he's, and he talks about, he says, um, kindness. Well, I would say love, but I'm a, you know, a grizzled old soldier. Um, I think he meant love, don't you, Damien? Oh, definitely. I thought, it, and again, this is where I think it's really special that we get to sit and see and look these guys in the eye because I think that was exactly what he meant and it, it emanated from him, the energy and, the, and his, his, his charisma demonstrated that's exactly what he meant hmm. should we listen to kevin sinfield next because i know that this was a popular episode in this series of on the back of his seven marathons in seven days to raise funds for his stricken teammate rob burrow uh, i think it's easy to focus on the outcome of the money he raised but kevin spoke to us really powerfully about the fight stage that he went through on the day that he ended up running one of his races in an angry state and I'll tell you a little story. We were day three. I'd had no sleep. We set off on, on the marathon and I ran angry. And I've got two mates who, who set out to run with me. One of them got injured two weeks before, but I've got a good mate of mine. It's his fault I started marathon running in the first place. And I had a plan every day to set off hard for the first hour and then pull back, knowing that I had time in the bank. And I set off running. I was angry. And I just kept my foot down. And I kept my foot down. And I kept my foot down. And I finished the marathon, and it was the day we did the quickest time. It was 3.34, and I come in, and I'm like, well, that's brilliant, but how selfish am I? Because this is about a team, and, and I got it wrong today. So I slept on it, or tried to sleep on it, following morning, pulled the group together, and I said, apologise, I've got it wrong. We've got to stick together on this next one. I'm sorry. I forgot what this was all about. I've run angry. I'm tired. But absolutely, we do it together. We complete it together. And I think taking that competitiveness of away really really helped me and I, now I weren't competing with the guy we're running with at all I weren't I was competing with myself but but it weren't about that it were about getting it done and doing it for me mate and and for us all to do something we were proud of together so we had those memories and friendships again that I've touched upon so they'd stay with us forever and I'm not ashamed or embarrassed to say I got day three wrong but day four was much better and you know I, it allowed me to enjoy it allowed me to relax and enjoy knowing full well that I'd get the times, but I wanted us to do it together. I guess it's a reminder, Damien, that like it's okay to feel like that sometimes and to, to kind of channel that energy, I suppose. You know, I think these days, particularly with everyone looking at everyone else's perfect-looking lives on social media, we think no one's struggling. And even when we are struggling, it's a case of struggling forwards. Yeah, and I think I think the important point there that, that I took out of Kevin's uh, anecdote that he shared was that he recognised it himself and apologised, moved on from it, promised that he'd, he'd correct his actions next time and didn't repeat the mistake, which goes back to a big factor of the fight stages. A mistake is only a mistake if you repeat it. If you're prepared to learn from it and do something better next time, that's what starts to move you through these five stages onto the next stage. And let's hear from one final person when it comes to fighting. Here's Toto Wolff again from the Mercedes Formula One team. 
we have this concept of the day we fail is the day that our competitors will regret. Because you rarely come off, you come away from a race saying, why the hell did we win? Uh, everybody's in a bit of mood of satisfaction when you go and you, of course, you analyze and you look at things, but you've done a good job. The car is good. Everybody's has worked. But when you lose, you go away and say, why the heck did we lose? What went wrong? And you analyze in much more depth. And because our hamster wheel runs so fast, there's one race after the other. You need to be pretty quick with that. So our meetings on Monday, the debriefs, are pretty straightforward. And what I tried to put in um, many years ago was that the leaders need to be able to come out with what they did wrong. And only then the organization will learn that it's actually true that we are never blaming the person, but the process where we need to optimize. And it's still something that I just had a situation today where, where I realized that somebody didn't speak up and I encouraged him to speak up. I actually told the person, I see there's a, you owe it to the company to speak up because if you don't, you damage us in our performance. And there you go. For all those of you who are thinking, why does someone like Toto Wolf have the utmost respect from everyone? And I don't. And I'm having to convince people about my position. Toto Wolf arrived in Mercedes and there were doubters. The job is to change their mind. And you do that by climbing. Toto certainly climbed to the top of the world on seven different occasions as a world champion. And now we move into the climb stage. Who do you want to hear from first when it comes to climbing? Let's go to Osi. I thought he was brilliant in terms of this, of describing how he invested in detail and created momentum. The Super Bowl, for instance, we're playing against the first one we won, where it was 2007. We're playing against the New England Patriots. Tom Brady, greatest quarterback ever, supposedly. Supposedly. <laughs> I love that. Um, and uh, you know they were undefeated. They hadn't lost a game that year. They were on their way to being the greatest uh, football team in history. But as I was watching the, um, the tape, this was because you have two weeks leading up to the game. As I was watching the tape, I noticed that Tom Brady, he would come up to the line of scrimmage. And this is, this is real information I'm giving you here. Worth millions of dollars. Love it, love I'm it. I'm giving it to you love right Love people yeah. recording this to pass it on to their players. <laughs> yeah. But what, what I noticed was he would come up to the line of scrimmage and he would, you know, say hot, hot, which is telling the, the, um, the center to snap him the ball. So what he was doing was he would come up to the line of scrimmage and before he said that, he was pointing at somebody. Um, maybe it was like somebody on our on, on the opposing side. Yeah. And he would point at that person. And if he didn't point at that person, that means they weren't going to snap the ball. But if he did point at that person, the ball was coming as soon as he said, all right. So after I watched this, I studied this for literally a week and I went back, I watched it all the games and he was doing the exact same thing, but nobody had figured it out. So I saw that and I went and I gathered all the whole defense and I was like, listen, this is what this man is doing. And if you know when the ball is being snapped as a defensive line, if you know when that ball is being snapped, you are at a tremendous advantage over the offensive lineman because they're relying on, on you not knowing. Because if you don't know, that means you're going to be late. But if you do know, you're going to beat them. Almost every time. And so as soon as I figured this out, I, I gathered the whole defensive line. I was like, listen, this is what Tom Brady's doing. Now, we all started to watch this together, and we saw this was 100%. It wasn't even, you know, it wasn't even like 80, not, this was 100%. So now we knew going into that game that as a defensive line, we were going to be able to overwhelm them offensively simply because of that one thing that I had pointed out. 
And we went into the game and we sacked him like five times, hit him like 20 times. They couldn't understand how we were getting off the ball and getting to him that fast. And it was simply because for two weeks prior, I just sat there and I had to watch what this one person was doing. And that gave us the mental advantage going into the game. We knew we were going to win that game, even though nobody else did, because we knew something that they didn't know and nobody else knew that we knew. So that was Osio Minura who won the Super Bowl and he now works as an analyst over here on the British television for American football. I think what I really like about that, Damien, is it, it represents something that I am trying hard to do because I feel like I wear so many hats and I'm really pleased about that. But I also think that there is something great that comes from getting down into the granular detail of certain aspects of your life and really knowing that you went as far as you could to work out if something was beneficial or whether it was the right answer. And that's really what Osi's talking about there, getting right to the nuts and bolts. Yeah, and it's often in the detail that tells us that we're moving in the right direction. You know, sometimes if, if we only measure it on the outcome, but uh, as opposed to the income, the investment, the process that we're doing, we can often get derailed a lot quicker. I really... Simple analogy I often use with people is when they say, if you're only focused on the bottom line, it's like wanting to lose weight and choosing to cut off an arm or a leg. You'll lose weight, but you'll cripple yourself in the process. Whereas if you get into the healthy habits, you eat regularly, you exercise on a regular basis, you drink lots of water, you might not see the results quickly. But if you look at the detail, you'll start to see that you're in the climb stage and you're moving towards your target of where you want to get to. Sometimes though, to climb... You actually, strangely, have to go back. Here's Sol Campbell. I'm from a tough background. Life is not easy. Sometimes you're going to have some great times, and uh, but sometimes you're going to have some really bad times, and you've got to deal with it. I just kind of go back, back to Plaster, back to Stratford, and I used to think to myself, God, do you know where you've come from? Where you are now, yes, it's hurting. Yes, you're, 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 you know, you're pissed off. You're, yes, you're angry fans are on your back yes the media on your back yes the managers on your back everyone's on your back but I used to kind of retreat and go back into remembering those days and reminiscing about those days of of where I, I came from and how how difficult it was and that used to help me yeah I, I liked hearing soul as a you know former England and Arsenal and Tottenham footballer talk about kind of the grounding that he got from from going back to where he came from, you know, at crucial times in his career. Yeah, I think when Saul described to us going around Plasto and the experiences of walking around his own childhood haunts, it gave him a sense of perspective on how far he had climbed in his career and the lessons he'd learned along the way that he could take and use on that next stage. It's an essential part of any of our journey to high performance. So let's talk now about arriving, Damien. We've dreamt, we've leapt, we've had to fight and we've had to scrap, we've climbed at times, we've had to go backwards to make sure we're climbing and then finally we arrive. Before we hear from a couple of guests who join us and they talked about their arrival, their big moment, there is without question a recurring theme on this podcast that the arrival is never as sweet as people think it's going to be. And I think it's very important for people listening to this pod who are listening to it because they want to get some kind of inspiration or some guidance about the journey that they're on, just to remember that the journey is more important than the destination and that it will be great when you arrive, lovely. You shouldn't go, not go for it, but don't expect it to be the sweetest thing. 
you're absolutely right, Jake. I think this goes back to one of our first clips we listened to was Susie Ma talking about infinite purpose. The infinite purpose is that the job is never done. You're just moving towards it. But it's important that when we feel that we've arrived at where we originally set out to do, we do take a moment to pause, to reflect, to celebrate if that's necessary before we continue again. But if we listen to, say, Jo Malone, for example, she was a powerful uh, influence on this series. She spoke about when she'd built up her business from being a 15-year-old schoolgirl that had set off on, on, on creating her brand to selling it to Estee Lauder for millions of pounds. She spoke about the thrill of that initial uh, sale before realising that what, she, what really drove her her infinite purpose was being in control of her own destiny. And that led her to set up her Joe Loves brand. So when I made that call to leave it and walk away... I, I made it with a very logical head, and um, but I knew that my life was, I could feel my life changing, but I remember that last day, and that's what you're referring to, when I turned the key, I asked to be the last person to turn the key in the door, and I put the bottles on the shelf for the last time, and it, and it suddenly occurred to me that I'd sold a business, I was leaving a business, but in fact, that business was my best friend. And it was the thing that brought me alive. Creating fragrance was the thing. And it suddenly all dawned on me. And that's the bit that I regretted. Oh, my God, what am I going to do tomorrow? I just couldn't let go of that, of that entrepreneurial. Do you know what? I don't think I've ever done an interview like this, by the way, where I had where I've spoken in such depth about my emotions of, of what I felt. Um, thank you. Ah, Joe Malone. What a lovely conversation that was. And talking about Arrive, and actually what's interesting, Damien, we spoke about these five stages of change when we wrapped up Series 3. We're now wrapping up Series 4, and we're also talking when we when we discuss Arrive about infinite purpose. Of course, we hadn't really had our eyes opened, had we, to infinite purpose when we discussed it previously. Susie Ma was the person that first mentioned it to us, and, and we've, we've thought about it a lot since then. And what Damien's already mentioned is great about infinite purpose is that it it doesn't have an end it is infinite so James Timpson takes over the business from his father as he said on the podcast he describes himself as a lucky sperm of course that's brilliant that he got that opportunity but then he decides that he wants to have a totally upside down business he wants to totally focus on his employees and allow them to be making all of the big decisions which drives the company forward so his infinite purpose is empowering the people at the absolute bottom level of Timpsons. Have a listen. I want to find the best people and to get them to perform. And when you realise you can find these people who no one, you know, no one else has found before, and they become like exceptionally talented people. I probably have three or four colleagues who even now WhatsApp me it's like six, seven times a day, and they're either really, really high or they need, or, or they need a lot of support. And I'm okay with that. That, to me, is part of leadership about helping people who, often extreme people, people who have you know, challenges with mental health or, or anything, but I love helping them get up to where they want to be. But we have 4,500 colleagues, so you get a real mix of talent and background and challenges. But it's about how, how can you find a way for them to be their best? And I think lots of organisations just try and dumb it down just, just do this like everyone else has to do and go home. And that's not the kind of thing I like. And that, Damien, is 
a really nice way to finish this conversation about the five stages of change because he's someone who's done it completely differently to everybody else. I would imagine when he first started, he didn't have the dream about empowering his employees. The leap was very different for him and he probably didn't have to fight like others because his dad ran the business, but he still had to climb. And when he's arrived, he's absolutely understood the importance of making sure that what he wants to achieve with that business is what he's going to go after. Yeah. And I think there's an unspoken uh, thread that runs through every one of our guests on all of the four series today, which is courage. I think it's the courage to recognize what you want and then go and pursue it, regardless of what other people say, what other circumstances before you. It's the courage to just stay true to that path. And I think that's something that every listener can take away from this. It's the courage to dream, first of all, and then to actually give it a go and take a step in that direction. I love that. And Damien, um, I dream of coming back for Series (laughs) 5 with you. I'll be leaping towards it and fighting to make sure it's good. Um, So if you're going to come on the climb with me, we'll arrive in a few weeks at the beginning of Series 5. What do you reckon? I like what you've done there, Jake. Brilliant. I'd love to. I've I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it, and I'd uh, love to come with you on the journey for Series 5. I'm excited already. We could not do it without you. And that's it. That is the end of Series 4 of the High Performance Podcast. Don't forget, though, that while we're not releasing new episodes for the next few weeks, the High Performance Circle has just launched. And it is an opportunity for you to get loads of extra content from High Performance. All you have to do is go to thehighperformancepodcast.com, enter your email address, get an invite, and you can be in the circle. And we're also releasing our first book as well. December the 9th, 2021, the High Performance book is available. You can pre-order it right now. We'd love you to do just that. So one final time, thank you very much from Damien and myself for joining us for the final episode of the fourth series of the High Performance Podcast. We're back for more very soon with Series 5. In the meantime, check out at High Performance on Instagram. Damien is at Liquid Thinker. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. Just type in High Performance Podcast. But for all their hard work across this series... Damien and I can't thank enough Will and Hannah for their constant sacrifice and input. Finn Ryan and the entire team at Rethink Audio for making what you've been listening to sound so good. But most of all, Damien and I just want to say thank you to you. Without the people listening and enjoying this podcast, Damien, there basically is no podcast, right? Absolutely. So thank you to everybody. Thanks a lot, guys. And we'll see you very soon for Series 5 of the High Performance Podcast. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.